a little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time, and the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his hero. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast, not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hi, this is Rice Cube. I am part of the World Series Dreaming Network, which basically is a network of two dudes. Actually, three if you count Andy. And with me today is our friend and Cubs Twitter hero, Randall Sanders. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for hanging out and downloading Skype. Like Skype's a piece of crap sometimes, but uh, it's what we use, and I appreciate you accommodating us. Their their captchas are very very uh, aggressive and difficult to read. Yeah, I don't actually remember that, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, yeah, we're in the middle of the All Star break right now. Um, the Cubs don't play until tomorrow night as of this recording, and so we got really nothing to talk about. I mean, the Cubs are in first place. The Milwaukee Brewers are burning in flames uh, in more ways than one. We don't know if that will continue, but it's kind of fun right now to be a Cubs fan. Uh, it's been a difficult week for the uh, the division opponents to the north. Yes, and possibly to the south as well. But, uh, you know, we just care, care about our guys, and they're taking care of their business. Uh, got a couple of all-stars. We can talk a little bit about you know, the marketing and how we feel about the current game of baseball and some uh, social media fallout that's been happening. So how's that for a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. That sounds like a good plan to me. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us Yearning for tomorrow's. Okay, so, hey, All-Star Game. Uh, we watched the... I actually didn't get to watch the Futures Game, but I heard uh, there were a lot of home runs in that one. And unfortunately, they baseball does a really, really stupid thing where they say, hey, here are all our future talent, but you can't watch them because there's actual MLB baseball going on right now. And so it th- doesn't make sense. Like, why don't you, since, well, you're uh, ending all the games in the early afternoon anyway, why don't you shift the futures into the evening and let the celebrities play the early game when nobody wants to watch them anyway, you know? For all the pushing of prospects as being the future of the game that they like to do, it is strange that they put the futures game behind the curtain of regular season MLB games the Sunday before and behind the premium cable paywall of MLB networks. It's strange that they do that, but they make the celebrity softball game so accessible. And uh, I'm not entirely sure I understand why they do that. Yeah, I don't either. Like I don't think I've ever actually watched the celebrity softball game. I've seen clips here and there, 
you know, I saw a clip of Bill Nye getting an opposite field single, if you can call it that. I guess the, you know, the fielder was just a little slow to the ball. But uh, yeah, like, why not? Why not? Like, if you want to show exciting young people, if you uh, young players who are obviously very talented, and you want fans to start following them in the minors, why not put that on primetime on, say, Fox? You know. Because there's there's nothing going on during the summer anyway. All the shows are in hiatus, so put it on Sunday night on Fox, you know, Sunday night baseball, and see what happens. I I understand why they don't put it on Fox because Fox mm. believes mistakenly that they have better things to show. But it, it doesn't make a lot of sense that they would play it during the day Sunday on MLB Network. I think going forward they would serve themselves a lot better if they made it the permanent Sunday night game. The, the 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 day before the All Star break because uh, y- you don't you don't want to make any team play that Sunday night game before the break and now that you have that time open it seems to me that you would be better served using it yeah I consider the uh, the celebrity softball game to be a very depressing omen because if it is on that means the home run derby has just ended and that is that's a very harsh reality to confront sometimes yeah. So, speaking of the Home Run Derby, I think uh, we had a really good time with the new format. I think this is uh, either the second or third year they've had the timed format, right? This is the fourth season of their timed format, because the first season of the timed format was 2015, when uh, Bryant and Rizzo were in it. Uh-huh. And I remember, I remember that year, they actually shortened the time for each hitter by one minute, because there were weather concerns in Cincinnati that night. Right. But but this is the fourth season of the timed format, and I agree it works a lot better than the, the former 10-out format that they used to go with. Yeah, because they got to keep swinging and swinging. And uh, it also seems to help them get into a much better groove because, uh, you know, a ball has to come every uh, five seconds. And then, I, I don't know, there, there was like a rule that's, nobody really enforced where you're supposed to, or the pitcher is supposed to wait until the baseball has landed before throwing the next pitch. And that obviously didn't work, but nobody seemed to care, you know, it was definitely more like a guideline than a rule this (laughs) year. Yeah. Because uh, the balls were launching all over the place. Like I guess I was kind of disappointed, but not really surprised that no, nobody like out, homered or out length uh Javi Baez's 479 footer as uh you were missing Judge and you were missing Stanton and you were missing like a couple other guys who could really uh put a charge into the ball like if say a Joey Gallo had had come in I bet he could have like scraped uh 500 feet you know if there's one flaw in the home run derby it's often that the players with the, the biggest raw power are not only not all-stars, they're not even all-star adjacent. You couldn't really even make a case for them being all-stars. And in a season like this, that, that disqualifies a Joey Gallo. Um, my, my concern was more that Baez and Schwarber were going to get there and like Rizzo and Bryant in 2015, they were both going to struggle to get out of that first round. And I was very pleased when that didn't happen. I thought they both, put on a great show. Uh, Schwarber, especially, I went back and rewatched that second round of his. When he got into his his groove 
as the time was ticking down, he was just hitting meteors to yeah. right to right and to right center at Nationals Park, and that was nothing short of a joy to watch. Yeah, it's not really that big of a deal that he lost. Like, I know that a lot of fans were like, oh, my God, Bryce Harper treated and whatnot. But uh, I think both of them put on a really good show. I think Schwarber, because of who his opponents were, he had to launch a lot more than Bryce Harper did to keep uh, to advance. So he was probably more tired by that point. Bryce was not challenged once in the home run derby until he got to his final round. And Schwarber, of course, had to uh, – do what he did the entire off season, of course, and that's uh, work very, very hard. Uh, so he, I think he admitted in one of uh, Javi's Instagram stories that he was pretty well gassed by the end. <laughs> but that's okay. They they did both put on a uh, they did both put on a great show, and it was nice of Bryce to give his hometown crowd something to cheer about in winning that home run derby. So it was very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very nice farewell gift before he signs with the Cubs next year, right? Exactly. And that, that video of Harper watching Schwarber walk off the second round from the, the tunnel and going, that's awesome. You know, if you, if you like that, Bryce, there's more where that came from. And, oh, yeah. You know, you, you know what you have to do. It's very simple. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it's kind of sucky for him and his walk here that he's kind of floundering a little bit, but at the same time, like he's got the power and he's not going to hit like 200, 240, whatever, forever. So. No, that, uh, that batting average on balls in play is going to normalize and to whatever extent batting average matters, which of course is very little. I think that will come up. No, like even in a slump year, he's, he's still like, you know, one of the home run leaders in the league, and he's still a dangerous guy to pitch to. So it's it's not a concern. Like, I guess the only uh, caveat is he'll probably come a little cheaper than he otherwise would have. But he's You're right. Gonna... <laughs> he may uh, he, he may only get three hundred and ninety five million dollars over ten years, as opposed to the full four hundred million. Yeah, I, I'm sure he can he can live without the extra fighter jet or whatever. So, right, yeah. right. You, you hope that that five million he might miss out on because of batting average. You you hope that doesn't uh, you hope that doesn't affect his plans to to buy a, a flying fortress to take him from one place to another in the off season. Indeed. What do you think about them starting the game so late? Because they're starting at a. I, I mean, a lot of kids are obviously on summer vacation but they're still starting at, at 8, 7 central, and it's not even exactly at 8, 7 central. It doesn't really make sense to go for sweeps-type numbers when I, I think home. starting at 7 o'clock central, I don't think they're ever really going to start it any earlier than that. So people on the East Coast, I, I'm sure they're used to it by now. What I think they would be a lot better served doing is reserving that entire either hour or half hour leading up to seven o'clock reserve all that for the pregame ceremonies do the player intros do the reserves and the starting lineup right at seven o'clock start the game at seven fifteen central if you want but i think they would be a lot better served doing as much of the pregame stuff as possible in that hour beforehand and then starting the game as close to seven central as they possibly can yeah i think that i would agree with that pat Oh, I get it. I see what you did there. Uh, all right. So uh, the game itself, uh, 
lots and lots of home runs. It, it there, was, were, there were a lot of home runs, and uh, I was very happy to see uh, one of the Cubs All-Stars contributing to that count. Yeah, but I've, I guess that's kind of what you have to end up with because every single pitcher except for Ross Stripling was throwing 99 miles an hour. Uh, right. You're not going to string a whole lot of walks and base hits together when that's who's coming out of each bullpen, that kind of talent. Uh, so if there's runs going to be scored, it makes sense that uh, they're, they're going to be via a, a lot of home runs because you're just not going to string a whole lot of base hits together off of the guys coming out of both of those bullpens. Yeah. So, you know, I, I believe it was 10 home runs, five for each side. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't recall too many base runners. And the only major home run with base runners on was there was one by Gene Segura off Josh Hader. And then there was one by Scooter Jeanette to tie the game. And I think Joe Buck actually, he literally said a man named Scooter just hit a game-tying home run. That was his outro call going to commercial after that inning. He said, a man named Scooter has hit a game-tying home run. We'll be back after this. Yeah, and I, I think uh, a lot of us, especially you, have made fun of that name uh, for a very long time. It's, uh, he's, he's a very talented player, and just in case anybody out there listens to this and, and recoils in surprise, I, I, I will admit it. He is a very talented ball player who found his power stroke after leaving Milwaukee, and uh, he uh, he is a very good hitter, but willingly going by Scooter as a grown man makes it very very difficult to accept that. So uh, if, if I can if I can admit that he is a very talented ball player, I would hope the uh, the other side of the debate can meet me halfway and admit that it's very difficult to take him seriously when he still chooses to go by Scooter. The National League had plenty of chances to go ahead or to you know. Uh, just grab some insurance runs er early on, but they never got the chance. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that they were facing some really, really tough pitchers. Part of it was just uh, bad luck, I suppose. But it, it was kind of strange that uh, a lot of the hits that didn't come came from the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you know, so somebody besides me might make a point out of that, wondering, you know, what were all these brewers doing in the All-Star game to begin with? But uh, I'm going to choose to take the high road this one time. Uh, yes, the National League did have their opportunities. There was, I believe it was, ba yeah, it was Baez's first step at. He singled to lead off the game, and he, he did not move off of first base because nobody behind him could drive him in, and you suspect Javi probably wanted to be a little more conservative with his base running, uh, leading off an all-star game. So he didn't, uh, he didn't put his usual spells on the base paths. But there were any number of occasions where the National League had a runner on or two runners on, and it didn't seem like they were able to get anything going after that and turn those base runners into runs. Yeah, and I guess it's not totally fair to the National League uh, and the Brewers because Yelich did uh, hit a home run, and he, that was kind of cool. You know, he did. You know, I'm, I'm sure Yelich is a player I've liked for quite a while, and I would not have at all minded him on the Cubs. Uh, and it's it's a little unfortunate that we he will probably have spent most of his career as a Marlin and a Brewer, which uh, again it makes it slightly more difficult to appreciate him on my end. 
but uh, yes, I'm sure he'll I'm sure he'll remember that that home run last night for quite a while. You only get so many all-star chances in your career, and you only hit home runs in so many of them if you are lucky enough to do so. So I'm sure he will remember that home run last night for quite some time, as will Wilson Contreras, as will Scooter Jeanette, as will all of the other players who were lucky enough to hit one of the 10 home runs last night. And Joey Votto, like it was basically his screw up that allowed the American League to ultimately win the game. But at the same time, it was really cool that his first all-star hit came on a home run. Like I would not have guessed that Joey Votto was 0 for all-star because he's always been such a good hitter. Uh, yeah, you look at a lot of these players who have never who have been all stars any number of times, but they've never had a hit in an all star game. That surprises you, but then you you break it down and you realize the guy may have only gotten one or two plate appearances in an all star game, and it's a little less surprising that he is hitless. But I know uh, Jose Altuve got his first all star game hit last night, and he actually asked for the ball once he did. So uh, you know we can we can talk all day about how much the all star game really matters. But the, the players, uh, they remind us annually how much it matters to them. Yeah. And it, it was kind of also unfortunate because uh, you kind of wish that Ichiro, before he went back to the Mariners, had gotten a chance to go to the National League clubhouse so that he could give his famous speech. His where, famous uh, spe- speech. I would love to someday know uh, the contents of that speech. It's been a very closely guarded secret for his entire career. Yeah, um, I would I would love to someday, like maybe when he retires for good and he, he's not transitioning into a front office role for part of the season. When he retires for good, I would like him to maybe declassify that speech and re- release the full contents for us so that we, too, can appreciate it. I've heard it involves a lot of swearing against the National League, so it would have been nice to see him throw it back at the American League a little bit especially since the AL has been kicking the NL's butt for the past six years now. Sure, Ichiro rolls into the, the NL clubhouse with a copy of his annual speech, but you see Magic Marker crossing out all the references to the American <laughs> League, and he, he scribbled in National League, don't forget. Could it be our hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of So we were, we've been talking about the three true outcomes. There were a number of walks. There were even more strikeouts. And there were a ridiculous number of home runs in that game. Uh, not so many, you know, just normal base hits. The other run that scored was off a sacrifice fly. So balls in play are not very uh, plentiful these days. And I think that's taking away some of the excitement. I also think that, you know, like we can talk about this later on, but the players being mic'd on the field kind of alleviated some of the boredom. But, seeing, right. yeah, all right. these home runs, like what happened to the liners in the gap? What happened to a hit and run? What happened to, you know, the plays that you used to see when, say, Ricky Henderson was running all over the place, you know? So it's kind of disappointing even for hardcore baseball fans like us to just see home run, home run, home run, or strikeout, 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 or walk, 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 you know? Right. I, uh, you know, I don't have any statistical data to back this up necessarily, but that would seem to me to be a partial microcosm 
of what's more prevalent in today's game. You mentioned Ricky Henderson. He played in an era where the stolen base was more prevalent, yeah. and you didn't necessarily have every pitcher throwing 99 with movement. Um, today, you have a lot of guys who are more aware of how they hit and what their goals are as they go up there to hit. And you have a, a lot of pitchers who come out of the, who either take the mound for a start or they come out of the bullpen throwing very hard. And I think that's a partial microcosm of where the game is today. There's a lot of velocity. There is a lot of focus on, of course, launch angle and exit velocity, which I know some people are tired of hearing. Um, but that's, and you know, in an era like that, you get an all-star game with a lot of strikeouts, some walks, and a lot of home runs. Yeah. And I know Joe Madden has talked a little bit about this. Like the Cubs are scoring like the most runs in the NL, despite being like bottom of the bottom third and home runs because they're hitting like gappers and whatnot. And that's the kind of exciting stuff you like to see. That's why we like watching Cubs baseball, especially when Javi's on the basis because weird stuff always happens when he's on the basis, but you're not seeing that as much like, you know, the home run home run spike is going way up strikeouts are going way up and uh as that keeps happening like with fewer balls in play no matter how much the commissioner wants to reduce uh you know time between pitches or you know improve pace of play if there's no action going on like casual fans not me and you because we'll watch anything but casual fans who are looking at the game will be like well he didn't hit it over the fence and nobody's really running this guy just kept striking out it's not I can understand why a game like that would not be exciting at all. I can understand it. Uh, I, I think of them as being different flavors. There's a lot to like about watching a guy uh, hit one into the gap and run all day. But I think there's also a lot to like about watching a guy uh, hit one, you know, into the second deck and everybody in the park goes, ooh and ah. So I, I yeah. think they're, they're different flavors of, I think they're both different, different, but equally good flavors. Yeah. And as for the pace of play, I'm really not sure. I continue to not be sure. Like I've, I've, uh, I've beaten this drum on Twitter any number of times. I'm really not sure who the commissioner is trying to bring in with the continued pace of play initiatives. The mound visit rule, I mean, was that ever really that big of an issue? And people who are casual enough that they are not interested in the game of baseball – are they really going to take that plunge and dive into the game of baseball because there might be one fewer mound visit per game? Maybe, but I'm not overly inclined to think so. I think if the commissioner were to perhaps open his eyes a little bit more, I think he'd realize that there are a lot bigger issues facing the game of baseball than counting the number of mound visits per game. There is some concern that with shifting and uh, more powerful pitchers, guys who are able to hit the ball really, really far. Like, they know if I can get the ball in the air, even if I strike out three times, if I can get, connect once, that's three runs on the board. That might be like a grand slam, you know. But, again, uh, I think part of it is, like, the reason why a lot of people – uh, tell me that they don't like baseball is because it's boring. I do not agree. I, I think I'm in your camp. I like, I really like watching pitchers duels. I really like like 
monstrous home runs that go almost 500 feet and maybe even more. Who knows? Because that cast might be a little wrong. Like every now and then they just miss something. But I can totally understand if you want more money from multiple sources, then you probably want to change up the game a little bit. But at the same time, are you doing enough to satisfy your core audience who might still be giving you enough money anyway. Right. Uh, you know, I'll never say the game can't be improved here and there. Uh, I think the question is always, sure, you can make this change to the game, but at what cost? Where is the line between making a good change to the game and making a change to the game just to say that you've made that change for the sake of it? And I think that can sometimes be a difficult line to try and parse out the location of. But again, when it comes to, I will go back to the mound rule, the mound visit rule again. Again, I think that's making a change so that you can claim that you've made a change, knowing full well that that is not going to change very much about the game. Yeah, and I think well, a lot of this is uh, posturing between the union and the commissioner and the owners, but that's probably a topic for another day. That um, is a uh, that is its own miasma of a topic, <laughs> and and any number of minds could talk for hours about what I think we agree are probably deteriorating relations between the the league and the players' union. Yeah, and uh, in the meantime, we got a no pitch intentional walk. We got. Uh, actually pace of play rules already in the book that aren't enforced. And we probably have a pitch clock coming next year because I, I've been just randomly tracking games and they are even nine inning games are all averaging over three hours. So he's going to force the pitch clock on him. And this might be interesting. I, I think like a lot of people who go to minor league games, like I always heard, you know, uh, I was in North Carolina for a bit, and I went to Durham Bulls games, and they were a great experience. And, uh, you know, I, I think Evan from Cubs Insider went to a South Bend Cubs game a couple, couple of days ago, and he had a good experience as well. So the minor league experience is fine, and they definitely have the pitch clock and the gimmicky uh, extra inning rules that I hope never make it to MLB. Sure, and let's let's yeah. talk about that that extra inning rule. Uh, there there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and consternation when that was being introduced, and I think the fear that that's ever going to be instituted in Major League Baseball, I would hope that fear is unfounded. Mm -hmm. It actually makes a lot of sense in the minor leagues and especially in the low minor leagues, because there is just nothing to be gained by making these eighteen and nineteen year old kids in short season ball play fifteen innings where the backup catcher has to pitch. Yeah. Uh, and so on. There's there's nothing to be gained by doing that. And I think that kind of runs afoul of the, the boundary in the minor leagues is, is the point of the minor leagues to win or is the point of the minor leagues to develop future major leaguers? And I think to whatever extent that the point of the minor leagues is development, I think the I think the, the, the extra innings rule starting in the inning with a runner at second base, I think that makes a lot of sense, and especially at the lower levels. Mm -hmm. I would, I think the closer that a level gets to the majors, the less sense it makes. Like, I don't think there's any real need for it at AAA. They, they don't have it at AAA, correct? Uh, I think it's at every level. Oh, it is at every level. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I, that, I don't think yeah. they need it at AAA because you are just the one step away from the majors. 
Um, but I have no problem with it at, at rookie ball and short season ball and the other two levels of A ball and even double A. Uh, because, again, there, there's just nothing to be gained by making these, these young players play 16 innings because nobody can score a run and you have to make position players pitch. And, and that just doesn't help their development at all. So to a degree, I have no problem with that rule. But if it ever made it to the major leagues, I personally would probably riot. It might be a one-man riot. I don't know how much good it would do, but I would be very unhappy because I don't think you need that at the major leagues, where the point is to win. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of said that because another thing that they were talking about was uh, the potential introduction of the DH to the NL. And if you kind of think of the minor leagues as developments, like you see all the time, even National League affiliates use the DH. And you're like, well, if they're supposed to hit, why don't you let them hit? And then you realize, well, not even the National League clubs really care if their pitchers can hit. So right now it's like an obstacle that the owners are probably using as leverage in some negotiation because at some point, like, all the GMs would probably want the DH so that they don't have an automatic out. Uh, at some point, you probably excite the fans who aren't like dinosaurs who think that the pitcher batting is strategy. It's not like every time you pinch hit for somebody, it's probably because you don't want the pitcher to hit, and that's kind of the point of the DH. But, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of things that are going on that uh, baseball will have to look at in addition to, you know, uh, bringing in new fans marketing players and whatnot. I personally am surprised that they haven't gotten to the universal DH yet, because I would think the players association would be all for it because you're creating uh, a, a starters number of plate appearances, uh, another 15 times over. Um, I, to a degree, enjoy watching pitchers hit on the rare occasion where they actually come through, it's fun to watch pitchers hit home runs. It is. It's fun. Um, so I'm not pushing for the universal DH anytime soon. But when it does come, and I do think it's a when, not an if, when it does come, I will, I will let the pitchers hitting go quietly into that good night, and I will salute it as it, as it leaves. Um, but I probably won't fight it all that much because I do think it's probably time for the universal DH. Yeah. And I've been reading the rule book a lot just for kicks. And there is a stipulation in the, uh, the designated hitter rule that any league can adopt it at any time. And it's just that they haven't voted in yet. The second thing is that, you know, even Joe Madden did this once, but if you screw up the lineup, the DH is lost and the pitcher has to hit anyway. So it, it's kind of cool that they leave that stipulation. Uh, I remember a few American League pitchers having to hit because uh, their turn in the lineup came up because, you know, a catcher who was the DH had to come back onto the field to spell the catcher who was in the lineup because he got hurt or sick or something. So there, there are stipulations that allow those rare occasions to happen, but uh, having a Shohei Otani level pitcher hitter or even a Jake Arrieta who has the power, but will still strike out like 50% of the time. You know, it, it's very rare to have a pitcher who is actually competent at the other side of the game. It is very rare. And again, uh, watching the pitchers hit is fun, 
on the the 5% of plate appearances where they actually do something productive. The other 95% of the time, it's uh, it's it's a little bit hard to watch sometimes. Um, so again, I'm not pushing pitchers hitting out the door anytime soon, but I do think that when that time comes, um, I, I won't, I will miss it, but I won't, it won't be prohibitive for me. Indeed. And uh, when we segue into marketing, let's talk about bringing in fans. Like I know a lot of people have been harping on this. I do not personally subscribe to it because I simply don't have the money. But when you do MLB.TV and you're in the Chicago area, you are blacked out of White Sox and Cubs and possibly Milwaukee Brewers games in this area. The blackout, the blackout rules remain archaic, and I do think they need to be fixed because there are people in Iowa who are blacked out of three or four or five different teams. There are people in Indiana who are blacked out of several different markets, and I think it makes it very difficult to grow the game that, that quote-unquote phrase that seems to be the buzzword always, I think it makes it very difficult to grow the game when there are so many parts of the country that are blacked out of seeing uh, a fifth or a sixth or a, of the, the teams in the league based solely on living at the, uh, the convergence of three or four or five different TV markets. Yeah, and it's kind of ironic because the Dodgers, who have billions of dollars of money, and they just landed Manny Machado, officially. Uh, they have a major issue with their local TV rights where like half the audience, half the prospective audience can't even watch the games. It's like an ongoing stupidity going on in that area. So it's like, like an ongoing carriage dispute between one of the, the, the networks that carries Dodgers games and the cable systems out there. Yeah, and if fans can't watch the games, they're not going to care. Like the reason why a lot of us are Cubs fans besides Sammy Sosa and whatnot is because WGN used to be across the country. Or a lot of re uh, same reason why a lot of people are Braves fans is because TBS used to be across the country and they used to show Braves games all the time. So having that uh, exposure, like, you know, you're channel surfing during the summer, there's nothing good on. It's just prices, right? And then, Oh, look, there's a Cubs game. Like, that's something that people do, used to do, right? And now you don't have that anymore because TV rights have gotten, like, really super complicated. There are, like, 700 channels on your cable plan, and it, it's very hard for them to grab your attention. So if you can't even allow a subscriber to watch your games, then you've just lost potentially their interest. So... Yeah, and yeah, like you said, you always hear older fans uh, from markets outside of Chicago and Atlanta talk about how they grew up watching games on WGN or on TBS, and you, you don't have that now because WGN, it's, uh, it's, national, it's national feed. They don't carry most of the Chicago sports broadcasts, and uh, it, it can be. It is, it is a lot more difficult for people outside of a given market to stumble across a game and uh, get pulled into the fandom that way. Uh, so it is, and that's probably why the, the, the blackout policy is probably still years away from getting solved is because there's so much money tied up in television rights and regional sports networks and teams starting their own networks. There's so much money tied up in all that, that I think even if 
the league and the broadcast partners had an inclination to try and uh, unravel that knot, I'm not sure they would. Yeah. And uh, besides the blackouts, do you remember that uh, period of time when the pitching ninja guy was uh, banned from Twitter? I do. Uh, he was uh, overrun. He was reported by people for posting the trademarked media, even though it had never been a problem up until that one day. And uh, it was unfortunate because I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work, you know, giving us uh, giving us gifs of crazy pitches from throughout the major leagues, fastballs that move and sliders that that uh, dip and curveballs that curve, I guess. Uh, and I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, of highlighting the the individual moments within the 27 outs of a baseball game. Um, and it was unfortunate that he was suspended, even though it was fortunately brief. And uh, I am glad that he is long since back and still providing us with uh, that degree of entertainment. Right. Because if kids are on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and they see that stuff, they could be really interested. And that's one way to reach the younger audience. Like everybody's on social media, media now. Uh, I know the NFL used to have no problems with gifts, but then at some point, I, either last season or the season before they started cracking down, but I don't think the NBA or the NHL do do the same thing. So you you can actually they they freely allow their fans to share clips because you know if you want to bring in new fans, why don't you let existing fans use positive word word of mouth to bring in their friends so that they too become baseball fans or hockey fans or basketball fans, right? I agree. The, the NBA, as it is in many regards, is one of the most forward-thinking leagues when it comes to their media policy. If you go on YouTube, you can find uh, you can find indexed and professionally edited by by amateurs, professional-looking edited highlight reels five minutes after a given game ends. If a guy goes for a triple double that night, you find his highlight reel looking real good in HD. Uh, on YouTube five minutes after that game ends. And the uh, NBA is not just aware of that. They encourage it. And they encouraged it with Vine when Vine was still a viable format. They encourage it now with GIFs. And it serves them very well. It's not coincidence that the NBA occupies uh, a lot of real estate in young fandom across the country and across the world. Uh, It's not coincidence that that is the case to go with their very forward-thinking media policy. And I, I would just hope that the other leagues uh, see that and even if slowly, as long as it's surely, uh, adopt that and encourage people to share media that brings their game to a wider audience, even if that wider audience is more inclined to digest the game in five or six or seven second bites instead of the whole game. You're still getting people interested in your games and your sport. Uh, so I hope MLB realizes that. The NFL, I'm, I'm not sure what they'll ever realize, but I would hope MLB realizes the opportunity uh, facing them, and I would hope going forward they start to relax that media policy of theirs. Yeah, I, I hope enough rich slash smart people realize that if they allow this to happen in the short term, then long term they're going to make even more money and they're going to pull in even more fans. And unfortunately, I think... Uh, a lot of the rich, not-so-smart people are really short-sighted. They want their money now. 
They want to control everything, and now you're going to lose the next generation of fans because, unfortunately for both you and me, we're getting older, and the age curve for the average MLB fan is going up by by the year. It's kind of uh, sad to think about. It is unfortunate. So I, I would hope there's still ample time to change that, and I would hope they take that opportunity uh, in the, 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 the years to come. Yeah. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Till now, our dreams have gone unclaimed. And so we we have uh, players who market themselves. Like obviously, you got Javier Baez, who is El Mago. He's like pretty much the most popular Cubs player, and this year he happens to be the best by wins above replacement he is the best cub so far but uh you then you have players that are obviously very talented like mike trout but they don't necessarily market themselves but they still go out and they interact with fans and you probably saw the little kerfluffle between the commissioner and the angels right i I did yes and it's not a great look when the commissioner of your sport calls out your sport's best player and says he's not doing enough to market himself. Like Mike Trout, his concern is being a five-tool player. His concern is his hitting, his his defense, his throwing, and his running. The sixth tool is not marketing. Like that shouldn't be Mike Trout's concern. So saying that Mike Trout is not doing enough to market himself Boy, I'm I'm really not sure what uh, what Manfred was trying to accomplish with that. I'm uh, really not sure. I think he's delegating, and he may also be trying to mask the fact that MLB itself isn't doing enough to market its players. Now, that might not be as true on social media, where you always see like they're marketing like a Gene Skira play or Francisco Lindor, or Javi's, like, daily El Mago moment. Or it, it, you do see it on social media, but for whatever reason, uh, they're not doing it on other mediums, you know? Like, I, I think baseball kind of takes a back seat on sports shows like SportsCenter because they know that the demographic doesn't really care as much about baseball, which is kind of unfortunate, and it might not be true like completely true from from what I was saying, but you you don't see as many baseball highlights as you would like on some of the like uh, sports shows. You you don't, and even here in the the middle of July, where the NBA is not in season, the NHL is not in season, and the NFL, contrary to what you might think from watching some of the uh, the highlight the the highlight put togetherers, uh, is not in season. You uh, it's. Baseball doesn't get a whole lot of real estate a lot of the time, Um, and that is unfortunate. Now, MLB social media is actually not that bad at highlighting when one of the when one of their the prominent players makes a good play. As you said, when a Segura or a Lindor or a Baez or a Trout or a Harper um, does something good, they are usually pretty good 
at getting at least a mention of it, if not the exact media of it, up pretty quickly. And that's good. What they put on Twitter, they usually put on Instagram. So they are usually pretty good about that. Uh, but I agree, is it's good, but it's not enough. And parties outside of MLB, like, like ESPN, like you said, they are, it seems, less inclined to give uh, MLB more real estate than they currently are. So I don't think any one of these things on their own, you know, is going to pull baseball down. I don't think any of them together are go or all of them together are going to pull baseball down. But if they all continue on their current trends for long enough, I do think you're going to see a downtick in the game uh, occupying young fandom across the country and across the world, just because there is so much less of it for those people to take in. Right. But uh, going back to the All-Star game, you saw like a lot of the biked up interviews, right? I think they did start with Trout, and he was a – I didn't know he talked with a almost kind of drawl. Did you know know that he talked No, with that? I, I don't know that I've ever heard him talk long enough to really pick up on that, but he does have a teeny bit of a drawl, which doesn't make sense because he's from – New Jersey, and he uh, has played his entire professional or his entire major league career in Anaheim. So that that raises the question of where he would have picked up a draw. But I agree, he does have a little bit of a a teeny bit of a twang to his voice. But he seems like a very personable guy. And I do remember back when Subway was actually doing commercials before, I guess they're going bankrupt or something now, but I don't see as many Subway commercials anymore. But he used to do the Subway commercials, and that was like his only major endorsement, I think. But he was there, so you do in, tangentially know who a uh, a Mike Trout is. Like Javi does his, uh, you, you know, all those videos that come on before the actual video on MLB.com. Like they uh, give you ads. And someone you, who peruses those videos on a a nightly to every other nightly basis, I am more familiar with <laughs> the pre-video ads than I would like to be. Yes. Yeah, but Javi has uh, one of those David Sun- Sunflower Seeds ads, and it's actually kind of cool. Uh, he's been in the body issue. Uh, when I, I don't think they mic'd up either of the Cubs or even John Lester in the dugout, but they did mic up uh, Charlie Blackman, they mic'd up Harper, and they mic'd up uh, Francisco Lindor. And I think Lindor had one of the best best things because he, he was just, like, having fun, and talking in Spanish to, I, I think it was uh, Eugenio Suarez at second base, and it was just like smacking his leg and stuff. So you, they, did, they did have a nice little banter going on. Um, yeah. And I think he was the only player they interviewed in-game to actually have to make a play while uh-huh. mic'd up. And, you know, it's always, I'm sure the producers, it's always a shot in the dark for them. Who's going to give you the best audio when you've got them mic'd up in-game? Uh, you know, we go back to the, uh, the the very widely circulated moment from the Cubs-Red Sox spring training game yeah. where Mookie Betts was light, was mic'd up playing right field, and he, he gave that famous line to the broadcasters, I don't think I'm getting this one, guys. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they always hope. Uh, I'm sure they always hope that something interesting is going to happen while the player is mic'd up, and I think Lindor was the only one of the four to actually have to make a play. Well, mic'd yeah. up, but I thought those interviews were very engaging. Um, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Blackman was funny. Charlie yeah. Blackman was very glib. He had a very sarcastic sense of humor. He talked about uh, trying to see the ball and hit the ball. He said, "You know, I can see it, 
but hitting it, that's the issue. And, you know, that usually helps. And so he was, he was, uh, he was very entertaining. Uh, Lindor was entertaining. Trout, of course, people say Mike Trout is boring and I kind of see it. He's, he's not necessarily the most dynamic personality, but I say this about Chris Bryant a lot of the time as well. His personality is that he, that, that is his personality is that he's kind of low key. And I think if you, were casting, you know, MLB as a, a television show or a movie, you would need different personalities. You would need some people who are louder and more bombastic, and you would need some people who are a little more soft-spoken and kind of aw shucks. And uh, so I, I think it, in its own way, that kind of provides some variety uh, in that guys like Trout and Bryant are a little more soft-spoken, and they don't always necessarily have a, a perfect zinger or a one-liner ready to speak into the microphone. And I think in their own way, that is their personality. And that's yeah. not for some people. And I understand that, but I think there's something to appreciate about the variety as well. Even if it's only that these, these players make us more appreciate the players who are a little more dynamic in their personality. So yeah. I think there's, I think there's something to appreciate about that. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Bryant still has one of the most popular Cubs jerseys as as uh, measured by the MLB store. So it's not like he's not getting marketed, and it's not like his personality, which is that of a good boy, is getting in the way. So people are taking notice, and it does help that he's really good at baseball as well. I agree. Um, I don't have this year's numbers, but as of about a year ago, uh, as of April of 2017, Chris Bryant's jersey was the number one best-selling jersey since the end of the 2016 World Series. So in the span from November 2016 to April 2017, Chris Bryant was the number one best-selling jersey. And by the way, numbers number two on that list was Anthony Rizzo. Number four on that list was Javier Baez. And number five on that list was Kyle Schwarber. And there is, between those... Uh, four players, there is a, a considerable range of personality. You have kind of the, uh, at times, quiet, stoic leader in Rizzo, who's more than capable of, you know, cracking a smile himself. We all know about Javier Baez's personality, Schwarber's personality, however you'd want to find it, maybe kind of the, uh, the, the big lug who is just there to hit. And, you know, we just talked about Chris Bryant. Between those four players, you have a very wide range of personalities. And um, it puts them, it put them all up and down that version of the best-selling jersey list. Now I don't have this year's in front of me, but I suspect that there are probably a lot more Houston Astros on that top ten list. Oh yeah. In the period from the end of last year's World Series to April or May of this year. Uh, but even that proves the point. Is I'm sure Altuve was on that list. I'm sure Correa was on that list. I'm sure Springer was on that list. And among those three, you have a very wide range of personalities. So as fun as it would be if every MLB player were this perfect made-for-TV soundbite machine, I think you need to appreciate the fact that uh, they come in all different personalities. And even kind of the quieter, aw shucks guys provide personality value in their own way. Okay, so here's a question for you. Uh, when I really, really got into baseball, the first player that I followed pretty much his entire career was Derek Jeter. Now, I think it helped that he was a New York Yankee, and that's a, like the largest media market 
pretty much on the planet. But uh, he was kind of a bland personality as well. He never got into trouble until he bought the Marlins, and he just basically went about his business. But he wasn't actually that interesting, and yet he was one of the most popular players of his generation, and he was like basically the face of baseball. So why can't MLB do whatever they did with that and market their players that way? You know what I'm saying? That is an excellent question, and I think, like you said, it has a lot to do with the fact that Derek Jeter – uh, played for a certain team in a certain city that wears uh, a certain variety of pinstripe on their jersey. And I think that in part made it easier for MLB, and I think it made MLB more inclined to push him. And you're right that Derek Jeter never really got himself into any trouble. And not that that's a bad thing. You certainly don't want a player to put himself into the tabloid pages. Um, I think we remember occasions where Jeter clashed a little bit with uh, – George Steinbrenner, because Steinbrenner felt Jeter was spending too much time uh, out at the fancy bars um, instead of, you know, preparing for the games. And they uh, they made light of that in a, a credit card commercial some years later. Uh, but you were right in that Jeter saw a lot of value in keeping his image squeaky clean, either artificially or, you know, just by not getting himself into any jackpots he couldn't get himself out of. So I think between where Jeter played and what his team did for a lot of his tenure, I think MLB found it easier to promote him, and I think they were more inclined to try. And for however many Jeter jerseys they sold over uh, the, the course of his career, I'm sure they are ultimately very happy with their decision because it probably paid off for them. Yeah. And I was just uh, thinking tangentially to an uh, NBA player like Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan is boring but he is a very good player and uh, I don't know if he's eligible yet but if he is he should be in the Hall of Fame obviously I think but, he will make the NBA, the, the Basketball Hall of Fame uh, yeah. as soon as he is eligible and that's that's an excellent point yeah. is he is boring but he was boring in a way that people could kind of enjoy and chuckle at uh, in their own way uh, around the time he retired he was in commercials for, I think it was Foot Locker, where I think some other player pretends to call him on the phone and tell him about a big sale. And uh, Tim Duncan is so overcome with emotion that he picks up a potted plant nearby uh, and gently puts it on the side. And he deadpans into the phone, I just knocked over a plant, I'm so excited. So uh, I think that comes back to what I said originally, is that if you kind of appreciate the difference, the, the, the full spectrum of personalities, I think there's room to appreciate the guys who are uh, a little quieter and maybe, yeah, a little more boring, even if it's only to contrast them with their louder and uh, a little more bombastic counterparts. Yeah, and I think with the NBA also, because they have a built-in audience, and it, it seems like no matter where the NBA player is. It could be a large market. It could be a small market. They know who that player is. Like if you're talking about, say, a Salvador Perez in Kansas City, he's a really cool personality. He's obviously a really good catcher. Like if you're outside Kansas City or if you're, unless you're a hardcore baseball fan, you have no idea who a Salvador Perez is, but you definitely know who a Tim Duncan is. Or a, Absolutely. Yeah, Salvador or, Perez, he's not necessarily a household name. 
Uh, and, you know, Tim Duncan winning however many rings he did with the Spurs, again, probably helps promote him. But y- you are right in that the Spurs aren't necessarily a, uh, I don't want to say a, a seminal franchise, but they aren't necessarily uh, one of the, the better known NBA franchises outside of NBA fandom. And yet a guy like Tim Duncan uh, was still very well known in his heyday. So that's that's a very good point is that the NBA is a lot better at marketing their I don't want to say smaller market, but maybe they're lesser known outside of league circle markets and making those players known to more casual fans of the sport or even non-fans of the sport. The beauty and the history in this cathedral, the sky so blue against the grass so green, like time stood still for. Speaking of guys who got themselves into trouble, and I'm just moving us along here. All right, here we go. Yeah. Uh, So, we talked earlier about how Josh Hader, uh, he's not doing as well as he used to be. Like, he's still striking a lot of guys, but his numbers have climbed quite a bit. He's not as unhittable as he used to be. And he was a little wild last night. He gave up a few hits. And Joey Votto did make a mistake. He should have caught that ball, and then we wouldn't be talking about that. But when he gave up that home run to Gene Segura and the American League won up three uh, three runs, it, it wasn't just the National League taking a hit. It was him as well because for whatever reason, people started digging up his tweets, and he tweeted up some really bad stuff. Oh, gee What is wrong with this man? back in the day he did and there is a lot of stuff the the excuse of oh well he was young you know he didn't know any better between how old he was at age 17 and between some of the stuff he said you you really can't write it off on those on those two bases uh, a uh, a guy when he's 16 or 17 maybe using a word in very poor context once that's also bad and that's problematic and that should be uh, apologized for but there is a difference i think between doing that once and indicating that you you realize that was wrong there's a difference between doing that once and there's a difference between saying some of the things he said and doing so repeatedly so there's a pattern going on with them exactly exactly there is a big difference between a one-off and like you said, a pattern. And and I don't want to make this a partisan thing. I don't want to make it a Cubs fan versus Brewers thing. But there was definitely a pattern in those tweets of some very, very uh, troubling and disturbing thoughts on certain matters. Yeah. And it is entirely possible that he his personality has changed. He's probably, you know, he obviously is playing with very diverse teammates like you know, you got Hernan Perez and Jesus Aguilar and whatnot. And, you know, before he was sent down, Orlando Arcia, et cetera, et cetera. He's got white teammates. He's got black teammates and Lorenzo Cain. Uh, so it's not like he doesn't know how to behave himself around uh, diverse personalities. But at the same time, you wonder, well, if he wasn't in the context of this baseball team and wanting to have the communal goal of winning, would he still be getting along the same? Like, those are thoughts that you kind of have in your head after reading some of the stuff he's he's done. Sure. Um, and like you said, 
maybe he has become uh, enlightened since posting those tweets, uh, however many years ago it was, I think it was seven years ago. Right. Um, but I think in a, his apologies, not being particularly strongly worded in that regard, they were all pretty well kind of meal mouthed. Uh, I think he's lost the benefit of the doubt. If you believe he had the benefit of the doubt in claiming, you know, that those are the thoughts of his past self and not his current self. And maybe that is the case, but I think he's lost the benefit of the doubt in people assuming that. Mm -hmm. And he's going to probably have to deal with that for a very long time, possibly the rest of his career or even his life. Uh, when I think of this, I think of the LA Chargers, uh, who used to be in, in San Diego, but uh, there, there was a guy who used to own that account, and he tweeted a lot of like personal stuff, like he wanted to go to P.F. Chang's and stuff. And now the Chargers bought that account, or somehow they, there was a transfer, and it's verified. But they kept those tweets, and those are funny. Those... Why? Yeah, why would the Brewers, who should have a marketing team, and Hater, who should have an agent, allow something like that to come out? And I guess, in a way, it's kind of good that it did, because it allows you to see who the person really is. But... They shouldn't have. They they should have scrubbed that like right away. They should have said, you know what, you need to delete that account and start over. Right. Uh, and, and the uh, the uh, the Chargers tweets about the guy wanting to go to PF Chang's and all that. Those are funny. And you hope at some point the guy got his PF Chang's, um, <laughs> get, get himself some nice lettuce wraps. Um, but I agree, they are funny. And as someone who has access to multiple Twitter accounts, we've all done it. We've all accidentally tweeted tweet A from account B. And then very realized, uh, very quickly realized, uh, oh, oh goodness, uh, that did not go from the right account. And then you scramble to delete it and start over. And you look around, uh, you, you look around metaphorically and hope nobody saw that. Um, and if you're gonna do that, it might as well be something silly, but ultimately pretty harmless, like talking mm -hmm. about what restaurant you want to go to for dinner, than something personal or heaven forbid something you know racist or worse. Uh, in tweeting, accidentally tweeting to a professional account from a personal account. Um, but yeah, every every year as the, the when the Chargers are playing on a, a national game, I see those tweets pop up about the PF Changs. And I guess you do wonder why they would keep those up, why someone hasn't just gone back and deleted them. Um, but like like you said, I guess somebody in the Chargers marketing department just thinks it's so funny that they uh, they don't want to get rid of it. Uh, but I agree that not to not to excuse anything that hater tweeted because if those tweets had been scrubbed when he was drafted or when he was traded or when he was promoted he still would have said those things we simply would not have known right. that he said those things but you do wonder that between him his agent the team the team's PR departments and everybody else who at some point has had eyes on his Twitter account you do wonder uh, how nobody caught all that and said, oh boy, this is terrible. We need to do something about this. We need to talk to the player. We need to make sure that this, that this does not happen again. And we need to make sure that we get in front of talking about why it happened in the first place. And you do wonder how nobody realized those tweets were still sitting there up until now. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't really excuse people for being 
bad at being a human, but uh, I, I guess I, I am more forgiving than most. I think people deserve a chance to go out in the workforce, you know, be good at their chosen profession, continue to get compensated for it. And so if, yeah, you were a raging racist, so if you can hide it, fine. But maybe it helps to know who that person is and do a better background check and all that. It, and, it, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and that's something that the Cubs do really well, like except for, you know, one or two random random examples. Like uh, I, I know the that after the hater uh, ridiculousness came out, a lot of people were tweet searching Chris Bryant and he's got those good old boy tweets. And then they found one really bad one from Kyle Schwarber where he did a one off uh, homophobic remark, which I won't excuse, but it's something that a lot of kids do. Like they talk about stuff being gay. And when I was a kid, like I found out from my gay friends why that was not cool. And then I just stopped doing it, you know? And I, I feel like he did the same, but I don't I don't know him. I don't know Kyle Schwarber personally. I just know that he seems to be a pretty cool guy just based on what I see of him. But uh, it seems like MLB and other sports could do better to help athletes manage their social media because, as you could probably guess these days, social media is poisonous. It's, like, ridiculous out there. It is perhaps an increasingly toxic public medium, I agree. And I do wonder if going forward, teams and players and agents are going to scrutinize the the player social media accounts a lot more closely. I think a, a couple of the guys who were uh, drafted in the top 10 in this year's draft, I think they locked their accounts. Uh, before being drafted. And that is a very, very sound strategy. You give access to the team, you give access to the team PR department, and so on. Uh, but other than that, you keep it locked. And for better or for worse, nobody outside of that circle can go back and tweet search and find what you may have tweeted when you were 17, um, if that's even still up. So I have to admit, the locking your account prior to being drafted highly uh, is a very sound strategy, whether it is to simply, uh, whether it is to simply cut off any perception rightly or wrongly, or whether it is to hide anything terrible you may have said at age 17, it is a very sound strategy. And I wonder if you are going to see that a lot more commonly going forward. I think it does happen a lot these days, like a lot of HR uh, consulting firms and, you know, resume people, headhunters, they kind of suggest to you that in addition to setting up a good resume, it's a good idea to set up a good online presence. And so there are actually services to uh, do background checks on you. Like they will uh, search your name on Google. They will check your social media to make sure that you look good because these days companies will actually search your social media. And I'm betting that's because a lot of these, uh, the scouting before the draft, especially with the Cubs these days, they look for people with good makeup and social media is one of the ways that they do that. So it's important for people who 
aren't aren't even baseball players. Like this is the 1980s post cartoon PSA right here. You need to watch what you say online because the internet is forever. Like it takes one person out of the 10,000 who scroll past your tweets to, to pause on it and take a screen cap so you can't delete what is said. And, if, if, you know, if the 1980s G.I. Joe cartoon were still active today, that's absolutely the sort of thing you would have seen in a, a post-episode PSA. Right. It's one of the characters telling a kid to watch what they say online, and it would end with, you know, knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Yeah. And so... Yeah, I, I think that's a really good object lesson for a lot of us. Like, whether we like Josh Hader or not, I still think he's a very good pitcher. I don't think he's as good as he's shown, but, you know, he's he's regressing a little bit. But I also think that he deserves a lot of this, the crap that has been thrown his way. And I almost feel like, you know, Lorenzo Cain's saying the right stuff on camera, but... And, in the background, I'm just imagining them like holding him down and beating him up like Gomer Pyle in Full Metal Jacket right now. Right, and you you know I don't want to speculate, but you do wonder if, for the sake of the team, uh, some of his teammates were I don't want to say absolving him, but they were maybe speaking in support of his personality, front facing, but within the the interpersonal relationships in that clubhouse, you do wonder if there's a little bit of strain. Uh, a, a little bit of strain as a result. And, you know, we're not in that clubhouse. I don't want to speculate as to what his teammates uh, might think of him at this point. But I do know that if uh, Hater is to ever find any degree of forgiveness um, from anyone, and, you know, he probably doesn't care what we think of him, but there are a lot of we out there. If mm -hmm. he is to ever find any kind of forgiveness to whatever degree you believe this sort of thing can be redeemed and that may the answer to that may be zero maybe this is unforgivable maybe this is something from which you can't redeem yourself but to whatever extent someone doesn't believe that he has his work cut out for him he has a very long way to go before he can claim that he has tried to work back from this that he has tried to work past this and anyone who says that uh, there is no absolving this of him absolving him of this, that there is no forgiving him for this. I don't strictly disagree with them. I think there are some things where you can't say, where you, you can say, no, this person doesn't get a second chance. So I'm not here to disagree with those people, but to whatever extent someone might believe that there is some degree of uh, redemption for him in his future, whether that's the near future or the far future, he has a lot of work to do and he has a long way to go before he before he even considers that. Right. I try to assume the best of everybody except, you know, uh, certain politicians these days. But I am hopeful that it's true. He has changed as a person. He realizes why. Like, I know we all do stupid stuff as, as kids. Uh, I don't remember being, like, blatantly racist, but I, I do know I've done some very stupid things. <laughs> sure. My, uh, my media, social media wasn't, uh, was, it wasn't quite uh, as prevalent when I was 17. We won't talk about how long ago that was. Um, I do know that if I had had Twitter when I was 17, I probably would have said any number of, uh, impossibly stupid things, but I don't think, in fact, not, not that I don't think I know none of them would have been racist or sexist or homophobic. Um, 
so yeah, no, I, I agree. There is a difference between saying stupid things in your youth and spouting white supremacist propaganda as a 17-year-old. And I think it's important we not conflate the latter, which, uh, which Hader did do, with the former. Uh, you can't really explain away some of his tweets as just being young and stupid. I think that is far too quick to absolve him in the name of youth. And um, so again, anyone who says that there is no coming back from this for him, I'm not here to disagree with those people because they aren't necessarily wrong. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. So uh, the Cubs are coming back this weekend. Uh, actually, tomorrow night. Tomorrow is Thursday, and they have the only Thursday night game of uh, the slate because everybody else comes back on Friday. Kind of seems unfair, but uh, it's kind of nice to know that there will be baseball on tomorrow. Are you going into any of this uh, coming homestands games? I'm not uh, presently uh, scheduled to go to any of the games on the homestand, but uh, you never know what might pop up day to day. As for the the Thursday night game, I think this is kind of ESPN's compensation for not having a Sunday night game. Uh... And, you know, when they scheduled this Thursday night game, which they did uh, at some point last season as the schedule came out, uh, you know, this was only a four-game series. Um and, of course, it was because of the cancellation of a game earlier this season at Wrigley that it has now become a five-game series. So, you know, it's, it's not like ESPN purposely scheduled a five-game series uh, for the Cubs right out of the break. But at the same time, if you don't schedule this kind of unnecessary uh, showcase second-half kickoff game, you don't run that risk in the first place. So I don't blame them for part of it, but at the same time, I question the necessity of it. And there was an occasion earlier this year where the Cubs had to play a Sunday night game, uh, I believe at Wrigley, and then they had to fly to Pittsburgh for a day game the next yeah. day. I think it was Memorial Day weekend. Um, and the, the the Yankees found themselves in a similar situation earlier this year, uh, and they actually threatened to boycott any ESPN reporters or media members uh, unless that game got flexed out, and that worked because ESPN acquiesced and they picked up a different Sunday night game for that. So I do think ESPN needs to do a better job of ensuring that their, their, their desires for broadcasts are not interfering in giving the players the rest and the downtime that they need, because that is, you know, three occasions, now two and a half, three occasions now where a team has uh, complained to ESPN, look, you're making us play a game at an inopportune time unnecessarily uh, and we would be playing it at a much more convenient time or not playing it at all if you weren't carrying this game. So I, I would hope going forward ESPN sits down with the league a little bit and maybe does a better and more careful job of picking which games they pick up uh, going forward. Right. And uh, it, it's kind of fun, funny you say, say that because I feel like if they didn't show as many Red Sox games or Yankees games and showed some of the other other teams it would help with their exposure and their marketing but unfortunately like the red sox and yankees are just better than everybody else in the american league so what you're going to do right right they're i mean they're always going to get more uh more exposure on espn and the, the national carriers and like the cubs are in that camp too the cubs are mm -hmm. the cubs draw eyeballs um but it, the, the fact when all of these teams are good at once that just enhances that two or threefold. Um, so yeah, you know, it is a pool of 10, 11, 12 teams who show up on Sunday night baseball. 
uh, on an annual basis. And there are teams that haven't appeared in a Sunday night ESPN game in a decade plus. Um, yeah. So to whatever extent that matters to somebody, you know, I, 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 it doesn't matter to me, but I'm probably desensitized to the Cubs being on national TV at this point. Um, you know, I could see that being a point of pride to the fan base of maybe a, a not quite as visible team, the Mariners, the Diamondbacks, the Royals, where they get to say, yeah, we hosted a, a Sunday night game for the mm-hmm. first time in six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years. Yeah. Um, but I, but I agree is they they do tend to focus on, you know, the top five or six teams in MLB and for those teams that can get to be a little much in terms of three or four or five times a year having to play an right. inconvenient Sunday night game. Yeah. And uh, I am going to Friday, not the game itself, but apparently at nights there is the uh, Under Armour game. So I was wondering, uh, I have like five tickets and nobody else is going with me. Do you know people who want to go? Because uh, you should, I, I guess I'll tweet that out later. But if you want to go, like I have a ticket. Uh, you know, I appreciate that. I will, uh, I will keep that in mind. Yeah. And I will see, cause that is next Friday night, correct? No, that is this coming Friday night, actually. Oh, yes. I, I beg your pardon. You're right. Two nights, two nights from right now, today yeah. being uh, Wednesday, Wednesday the 18th. Um, you know, I will keep that in mind. I will see what uh, what comes up between now and then. I was at the Under Armour game a couple of years ago. It was played during the day. And uh-huh. it is uh, it is kind of a, a, an interesting way to experience baseball at Wrigley, where everybody, all of the fans who are in the park are concentrated more behind home plate on lower levels. Um, the, the park is a lot emptier than you are accustomed to. And, of course, the tickets are free. So even if you don't necessarily have interest in – the Under Armour game, which if anybody out there is not aware, it is a high school all-star game. Players yeah. from across the country. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really play, excited. Yeah, They play in the showcase game at Wrigley. It is kind of a novel way to uh, experience baseball at Wrigley in, to whatever extent, baseball at Wrigley can ever be kind of more focused. It is a, a novel way to experience that. So uh, if anybody out there listening wants to uh, experience something a little different at Wrigley at no cost, because tickets are free, um, hit up our friend Rice Cube here because he is uh, right now fanning himself with a whole sheaf of tickets. I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also going to the Monday night game with uh, Anno, who is the season ticket holder. So we're going to get a hobby by his bobblehead. So, yeah, I'm excited about that because that'll well, be I, probably... I wish you luck with that Hunger Games type situation. Maybe no, I'll be, am... ever... yeah, <laughs> be ever in your favor dealing with those. <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably going to get there by about four so I could stand in line. Yeah, there, there's going probably, to be a lot of line, probably earlier. line standing in by a lot of people that night. You just hope it doesn't rain again and we get another bobblehead situation like we did last year with the famous uh, non-rain rainout against the Brewers. Is this supposed to rain on Monday? That would No, right now, right now the forecast for Monday is all clear. So I, yes. uh, whatever poll I have with those forces, I will do my best to keep it dry for you on Monday. Yeah. So what weather gods? Yeah, uh, cool. I want to really thank you for spending a lot more time than you needed to with me today. My uh, pleasure. Thank you for letting me uh, ramble into the microphone and into the ears of your listeners for yeah. uh, an hour or so. Yeah, we'll use a ram- Randall joke. This is Rambles J. Sanders right there. That's me, Ramble, with... Ramble Jim Sanders. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, you're the guy who gave us the uh, 
the radio poll from the World Series Game 7 when uh, Pat Hughes was saying, well, it bounced to the Bryant. So, he will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time, and the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Beautiful. Uh, a- absolutely beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yes, you can find me on SoundCloud at Cubs Audio. Look for the uh, Cub wearing the sweet headphones. Yeah, you give them your Twitter account too, man. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Randall J. Sanders. You can also find the account to which I contribute, at Numbers MLB, where we track and report on uh, MLB player jersey numbers. So you can find that on Twitter uh, at, at Numbers MLB. You can also find us on Instagram, Numbers MLB. And you can also find my Photoshops and some of my GIF work on uh, Instagram. You can find me at One Up Workshop. That is One Up underscore Workshop. Look for the baseball mushroom. And you can find a lot of the Photoshop and GIF work there that I also post on Twitter. Yeah, that's. Really wonderful work, and I'm glad uh, we ended up following each other because it, it's always amusing. My wife loves it. Well, it's kind of bad for you and for me as well because usually that means the Cubs are probably losing, but she, she loves seeing angry Randall, so uh, keep that I've, up. I've never been angry about anything in my life, especially not on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, you can find us. We are at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. That's our blog. Uh, this is a hobby, so we don't have as much content as some of the other guys, but every now and then we'll put something out, including some stuff that Randall has helped with, with in the past because we've done some really cool stuff that I guess only really amuses only us. But... And you know what? That's okay. Some of, yeah. these, some of these are yeah. just for us. That's all right. Yeah. Goatbusters, Harry Potter. With Albert Amora, we should probably do a Doctor Strange one with El Mago. That would be awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll put something like that into the hopper. I think there's probably a lot yeah. of fertile uh, source material and a lot of fertile adaptable material that we could probably put together yeah. in the right way. I think an Infinity War might be a little bit ambitious, but uh, let, let's keep keep our eyes open. We'll keep uh, workshopping you, that. Yeah. You can find the official World Series Dreaming Twitter at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. Our email is worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. If you want to ever put in a question or comment, critique, we suck, whatever. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at CubicSnarconia. Thanks to Richard Deanna for our theme song. And again, Randall, thank you so much. Uh, you, you know, there's one last thing that I forgot, almost forgot to ask you. Uh, you know that little Go- GoatBusters logo that I have, right? Yes. Yeah, so I know that a lot of other shops have tried to do the GoatBusters thing, and you've probably seen a GoatBusters shirt. Uh, we can't put ours on Cafe Press because, obviously, we're going to violate a copyright thing. Right. Do you think you can tweak my design so that we can skirt some legal issues? I think there's a very good chance we could probably figure something out. You know, I don't necessarily know where the line is as far as the legality, but I think there's a good chance we could figure something out. Cool. Well, thank you so much again for hanging out with us. And for the rest of you out there, thank you for listening and go Cubs. Go Cubs. It was more than just a game.